and look back and see that our church multiplied just within a matter of minutes. Thank you, Ken, for whatever you did there. It was great. <laughs> awesome to see you guys all here today. As Ken was saying, we do have uh, our, our very special presentation today for our moms that are here, and uh, we'd like to welcome you and also those of you that, um, and I say this almost every year, uh, it, it's a bad joke, but humor me, you know? If, if you didn't have a mom, oh, I already messed it up. Thank you for laughing anyways, at me, not with me. <laughs> Uh, as you know, we, we, we got together last week and we put together a, somewhat of a, a volunteer checklist for those that would like to volunteer for our upcoming revivals that we're going to have in June, July, and August. And the dates are in your bulletin. And we have uh, people already uh, that are involved and would like to recruit anymore uh, that would like to, to help. We have a children's ministry, of course. Uh, uh, I have a hard time saying my wife's name. I call her Babe, usually. Short for Baby Doll. Yeah, she calls me Hun. That's short for Attila the Hun. But uh, uh, Lin, my wife, Linda and Selena, are going to be taking care of the children. Uh, Sal and Cal are going to be helping with the audiovisual, setting up the speakers and everything else that we need outside. Uh, Bill and Teresa will be uh, overseeing the prayer ministry. Refreshments are Lisa and Jan. And uh, security, we have a, secure, a security team. And, of course, music by Ryan and Suzanne. Now, if you'd like to help out in any one of those areas, you can let me know or contact those that I had just mentioned. Sal is in the back room back there. This is Cal. Raise up your hand, Cal. And this is Jan right next to him. Uh, that she'll be helping Elisa and, uh, of course, uh, Suzanne and Ryan that were up here just a bit ago, if you'd like to help out in that area. But uh, we will be getting together. We'll have another meeting, get out some job descriptions, and we're going to start praying even more so. I pray that you're at least praying for this revival. Revival is a time to be able to elicit and to bring God's word to people so they can open their minds, open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, what he's done for us on the cross. With that said, let me have you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Now, if you've been with us any uh, period of time, you'll know that we've been going through the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians is not necessarily a city as much as it is a region. And today, we're only going to use this to springboard into the topic of mothers, how, how God or the Bible honors mothers. And it's, it's very unique. I was talking to Ryan this last week. I says, you know, I couldn't have planned this any better, which I didn't. It just happened to fall on this day. We are right now in the example of Hagar and Sarah. Now, I, I need to give you the, the background on this information, but I can't give it to you all right now because we do want to honor our moms. I did mention that I wanted to give a message, dismiss a little early, give out our, our special presentations, and uh, just have a time of of gathering with uh, some food and some fellowship. We actually have refreshments next door for, for the moms first. And so, but what I want to do is at least springboard off of verse 21, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. And, and, on, and on, it says, uh, Paul says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is the slavery. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for the promises that you give us, for the freedom that you've given us through Christ Jesus, and for the freedom that we, ha we have because of what comes from up above, not because of the rituals, the religion, not because of the customs, of the traditions, not because of the law, but because of your grace, we have been made free. So Father, help us to understand this passage a little bit more as we dive into it and we walk through it, Lord. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul has been talking about, if you've been with us for any length of time, that there is a law that was over the Jewish people. And this law, what it did is it, it held them in slavery over the things that they could do and could not do. Jesus Christ came, and what he did is he abolished that law. The law is still there as far as the moral law. We still don't want to murder. We still don't want to commit adultery. We still don't want to lie. We still don't want to do all those things that the... Ten Commandments and the Commandments of God had stated. Yet what Paul has been arguing throughout this whole chapter, this whole book, is that 
We cannot get saved according to the law. That's why Jesus Christ came. And this is what Paul is saying here, that our mother is not of the slave woman of Jerusalem, of the law, of the traditions, of all the customs that the Jewish people had in order to be saved. He says, you are saved through faith, by grace, in Jesus Christ alone. And so when Paul is talking about the Jerusalem from above, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus Christ who came down, God himself, incarnate, became flesh, and died on a cross for us. And that salvation is offered through God's grace, and it's giving to those who believe. Now, what Paul is saying is that you don't need all these rituals and customs and everything else, like a lot of people say, that, you know, well, I, I can't be saved or I can't go to church because, you know, all the, I'm not abiding by all the things. I don't have a suit to wear. I can't get there in time or whatever traditions man has put out. Salvation comes through faith, by grace, in Jesus Christ, and that's it. doesn't matter what church you belong to. doesn't matter what place you go to. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, and that's it. And so when Paul is making this distinction, he says, we are children. So in essence, we all have a mother, what well, we should have. Otherwise, if you didn't have a mother, you wouldn't be here either. You know, you're not going to have kids either. I think that's how the joke is supposed to go. Anyways, so we are all from, from above. And some of you might be thinking, you know, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a mother myself. I don't, I don't know how this works. Well, today I want to show you and share with you what the Bible teaches about moms, what mothers are in the Bible, and how it is that God honors them. And if you know anything about Mother's Day, it, um, traditionally it is attributed to a lady named uh, Maria Jarvis. And Maria Jarvis was born in 1864, May 1st of all days. And her mom wanted a day of recognition. She says, you know, we should do this nationally. Everybody should get a day of recognition for moms because moms are very important in the life of people. And so what she did is she, she never had children herself, but she started this movement. And in 1914, uh, Woodrow Wilson signed into uh, to into law the proclamation of Mother's Day being on the second Sunday of May. And so from that day forward, it, it just started to just take off. People were celebrating Mother's Day. And what she saw was that it became very commercialized. Greeting cards, flowers, candies, all kinds of things. And she was like, okay, this is not what it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be commercialized this way. It was just supposed to be a time of honoring your moms. And as you know, I mean, everywhere you go, almost every corner, they have flowers, they have balloons, they have all kinds of things because they, they commercialize, we've commercialized it so much. Right now, I believe your mother just wants a hug and a kiss. Some of you would just love to be able to do that, to hug and kiss your mom in honoring her. And as far back as we can go, even in the Greek and Roman cultures, mothers were somewhat venerated. They were lifted up, but they were lifted up as goddesses and, and, uh, and, and as priests and uh, the temples that they would build didn't really give women a right or women the exaltation that the Bible does. Because the very first person to honor mothers in a culture that was so male-dominated was God. He says, and this is in your outlines, um, he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Now, you might be thinking, well, well, of course, that's what it says. But you have to understand the culture at that time. You have to understand the setting at that time. You have to understand what was going on at that time. And at that time, women were not considered honorable. As a matter of fact, they were considered to be more than just a property, a piece of property, somebody to have children with, somebody to take care of their needs, either physical or materially, uh, and somebody just to, to deal with the things of the everyday life. And they weren't even allowed to teach their children. The, the fathers, what they did is they hired people. We talked about this during the, um, the time when we talked about the adoption on how uh, they had school children, or excuse me, a schoolmaster, a tutor. They had a tutor that would watch over their children, and the fathers would hire these tutors and these, these slaves and people that would take care of the children to raise them up, mainly the men, the male, not the females. But when God presented himself as the God of Israel, and he said, you're going to be different, you're going to be separate, you're going to be holy, which is what holy means. You're going to be totally separated. Holy, a lot of us think, you know, I can't be holy, because holy for some they believe it has to be perfect or pure. They have to be, uh, you know, just, just not causing any problems. But holy basically means is to be separated 
from the world, to be separated from sin. And in that case, it causes you to strive for perfection. It causes you to strive for purity. And God is pure. God is perfect. And He expects for you to be holy. He expects for you to be separate, different. And so when He laid down these laws, the fifth commandment, top five, the fifth one, He says, I want you to honor your mother and your father. I want you to honor both of them, not just your dad. And so for us, we kind of understand it now because of all the, 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 I guess, the stuff that's gone on in the past. But back then, that was pretty novel. It was brand new. It was a culture shock, in a sense, to give women that kind of honoring or authority. And so when we look at what God is, is saying, when he says, you know, honor your mother and father, this is, this is the first revolutionary act that God is showing to the people that you will be separate from the rest of the world, from the rest of the community. Because as God continues, and you continue reading through the scriptures, and the reason I want to bring this up is because some of you have probably heard, or some of you have probably even said it yourself, that Christianity is a male-dominated religion, that the Bible is very chauvinistic and anti-women. However, nothing could be further from the truth when you read scripture and you look at the stories in the Bible. Biblical accounts of the patriarchs, of the fathers that first started uh, from the very beginning, always give due distinction and due value to the wives, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. They play huge roles in the book of Genesis. Miriam, the sister of Moses, uh, and Aaron, both were prophetesses and songwriters. Deborah was also a prophetess. Uh, was a judge in Israel prior to the days of the king. Scripture often puts wives in position of wise counsel to their husbands. And again, this is, this is within the confounds of the Bible. When Solomon became king, he publicly paid homage to his mother, standing when, he entered, when she entered his presence, bowing to her before he sat down on his throne. Sarah and Rahab are specifically named among the heroes of faith. Moses' mother, Jochebed, is included as well by implication. In Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman, and the New Testament church is likewise presented as a woman, the bride of Christ, over and over again throughout Scripture. Let me just show you a very quick example, if you have your Bibles with you. Let me ask you to turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. What happens here uh, in Judges, right after Joshua, they conquered the land, and now they are in the land, uh, the promise, the promised land, and they do evil in the sight of the Lord. So God raises up a judge. They are saved, and the judge pretty much steps in between them and God and delivers them, and then they do evil again more than before. Brings up another judge, and the judges, therefore, that's how it gets his name, the book, the book of Judges, by all these judges that come through. In Judges chapter 13, it says this, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So here you have 40 years of torture, 40 years of enslavement, 40 years of, of just being uh, beat up by these Philistines. And in verse 2 it says, There was a certain man of Zorah, the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And so, therefore, the, the, the angel of the Lord, what he did was gave her some instructions. Okay, don't drink any wine. Don't, don't be doing drugs. Don't, you know, let, let his hair grow long. Don't cut it. He is supposed to be a Nazarite dedicated to the Lord. She goes and she tells her husband, hey, this man of God came to me, and he said that I was going to have a child. And, and what ends up happening is he says, well, where is he? He's gone. And so uh, he starts to pray. Manoah starts to pray. And he's asking God, Lord, send that man again. I want to talk to him. And instead of showing himself to Manoah, the man, he shows himself, the man of God, the angel of the Lord, shows himself to the woman. We don't get her name in the story. We don't get her name up to this point. And then in verse 13, it says this, And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded, let her stay, let her observe. And so then he is now surprised. He meets this angel of the Lord. And she is just blown away that the fact that they have not had any kids. Now check this out. 
they want to prepare a feast for the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, you know what, if you prepare it, fine, but I'm not going to eat it. What you should do, and what I want you to do, is offer it as an offering to the Lord. So Manoah gets this goat or this lamb, and and he puts it on the fire, and, and he offers it up to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord disappears in the smoke and goes up into the air. Now look at this, verse 21. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Let let me just throw in a little side note here. You'll see a lot of times that the Bible will say the angel of the Lord. And then you'll also see sometimes an angel of the Lord. And just to give you a little bit of information there, when you see the angel of the Lord, most of the times it's a theophany or a Christophany, meaning it's the, the revelation of God himself that presents himself before the people. So when you see the word the angel of the Lord, a lot of times it's directed to be Jesus Christ or God himself. And so this is kind of what happened here in verse 21. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. The traditional thought and the theological concept was, if you see God, you will die, because you cannot stand before the presence of God. God himself did not present himself in his whole personhood, but he presented himself in a pre-existent Jesus Christ as the angel of the Lord, or Christophany is what they call it. And he says, we will surely die, for we have seen God. Now, here's the point I wanted to get across. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a great offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Basically, she was saying, if he wanted to kill us, he could have killed us already. He would have taken us out, but he didn't. And the fear of the Lord fell upon this man. But the wife, the mother of this child-to-be, she stood up and she says, and she comforts and counsels her husband. Now, now this is a story that's in the Old Testament, but it happens time and time again with Sarah, with Rebecca, and, and how they uh, counsel their husbands. And, and those are stories that you wouldn't hear in any other culture. You see, every time the Bible talks about a woman, specifically about a, a mom, they always talk up the woman, not down, as you might hear from other cultures or from other people in this world. I don't like the Bible because it always talks bad about women, and it's not the case. As a matter of fact, women became prominent in the ministry of the church. On the day of Pentecost, when the New Testament church was born, women were there with the main disciples. If you read the Acts, you'll see that they were also ministering. As a matter of fact, what Jesus did is he had disciples that were women, and some of these women were moms. And in that culture, once again, you just didn't disciple a woman. You would disciple the men, and the men were to disciple the woman, and, and, and the women were not supposed to gather with the men, and they were supposed to stay home or on the outskirts. As a matter of fact, in the synagogues and in the temple, they had a place just for the men, and the women and slaves were on the outer court. And so you would have this type of division between man and woman, and every time the Bible talks about a woman, it elevates the woman. The gospel was made available for women as well, not just for men. One who heard, one who heard was a, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyteria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Bible constantly recognizes women. And so when you look at these verses that I'm going to share with you this morning, what, I, what I'd like for you to see is how God elevates womanhood, but not only that, but how he elevates mothers as well. Number one, the reason that, the, well, not the reason, but God just does this. He does this not for any reason except for the fact that he loves, and it comes from above. Number one, mothers reflect the image of God. Mothers reflect the image of God. It's not just for the men. They're not the only ones that are image bearers. Women are image bearers as well. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them from the very first chapter, you start to see this. We are image bearers of God. Number two, mothers partner with husbands. Mothers partner with husbands. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the man's ribs, or his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, 
he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is very unique because prior to this, prior to this, all these animals are coming before Adam. God says, excuse me, God says, I want you to name these animals. I want you to look at them and name them and see if there's a suitable helper, somebody that can help you, something that can help you. And as these animals are passing by, he's naming them, giraffe, hippo, monkey, you know, I mean, he's just naming them off. And God says, and the Bible says that there was no helper fit for him. So what God does is he takes the bone out of his side. Now, this is very interesting because the Hebrew word for man is ish. And we, we say that mankind is Adam, but the Hebrew word for man is ish. And when he fell asleep, the rib was taken out. God formed the woman, brought her to his side. He looks at her and he says, ish? No. He, he says, and what he says is grammatically correct. He says, ish, ah, I like this. <laughs> this one is suitable for me. I, I, I can, she's now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And the two became one. And women by no means are downgraded or lowered to any second-class status. On the contrary, Scripture seems to set women up apart for special honor. And we know that Eve became the mother of all living things. And so husbands are commanded to love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, even if it's if necessary to, at, at the cost of their own life. Husbands, love your wives, as he says in Ephesians, as Christ loved the church. The Bible acknowledges and celebrates the priceless value of virtuous women. Number four, mothers are included in public worship. Mothers are included in public worship. Now, once again, you might think, well, well yeah, but in that culture, it just didn't happen. In, in, the, in the social and religious life of the Old Testament and the New Testament, women, women were pushed to the background. They partook with men in all the feasts and public worship of Israel within the context of the Old Testament and New Testament. But otherwise, in other social settings, in other religions, they were just not allowed to do so. Women are not required to be veiled or, or to be silent in public squares, as some places do in Middle Eastern cultures, even today. Number five, mothers teach children. Mothers teach children. In Proverbs 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And I think my footnote in Spanish says, Or you'll get the chancla. <laughs> and that's what will happen. Moms were instructed to teach the children. In those days, moms didn't have that direction. Moms didn't have that ability to do so. They were hired slaves or other people, teachers that came in and directed and taught and, and showed the children what to do until they were man enough or old enough to do what needed to take place as an adult. And they shared in that responsibility and authority. And this is God's plan and design from the very beginning. Look at this, number six. Mothers are business partners. Mothers are business partners. In Proverbs 31, it talks about the virtuous woman, the woman that, that, uh, that is... I believe the goal of all virtuous and Christian women to be is she, she considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Verse 28 in that same chapter, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her because of just her ingenuity, her skill, her, her tactic, her, everything that she has to do. If, if you are a housewife, do not belittle that, that role that God has given you. God given you such a precious and such a great opportunity and gift. And this culture is trying to tell you you're wrong. This culture is trying to tell you, no, you have to handle things your own. I just recently heard of one woman that says, well, I'm never going to trust a man to take care of me. Well, it's because you're living in the culture of society in this world. But according to biblical standards, that's the model that God has had him, that planted. He built that model specifically for you. And when we work within that, when you work within that, you become part of, not dominated, not subjected, not ridiculed, but your part as a mother and a, and a father in raising children is so important to God. It's so important to God that he, he create these little things, you know, like, like what Ken has in his hand right now. And, and he makes them so sweet. And he makes them so beautiful and so cute. And you know why he does that? Because in the middle of the night when they're screaming their heads off, you just want to, you know, like Ryan said a little while, you just want to smack them, you know, but, but he's so cute. 
and, and they, are, they are just adorable. That's why he makes them so pretty. No. He may, and they're helpless. And they need your love. And they need your care and attention. And I know we have been sold this bill of goods that, no, it takes two. It takes two incomes. It, it has to work this way. And, and you know, I, when my wife and I, we raised our children, my wife worked, I worked as well. And, and you know, and, and we think back now in our later years, we really wish we wouldn't have had to do that. It's because we wanted stuff. We wanted the stuff of the world. And we think back now, we say, you know, if we could do it all over again, we wouldn't. And we didn't have godly role models. We didn't have a godly father or a godly mother in our, in our household. But, you know, it, it, you don't necessarily need to have that. We're going to see this here. As a matter of fact, with Timothy, Timothy himself, he was raised up by an ungodly father. But his grandmother and his mother were godly people. And he was raised up in such a way that Paul was able to entrust him with the church. And he became a powerful preacher in, a, in, in Ephesus. And, and this is how... Paul, God looks at all, all women, especially on moms. As opposed to ancient cultures, which routinely degrade and debase women, women in pagan societies during biblical times often were treated with less dignity than their male counterpart. But God says, I want both father and mother to be respected and obeyed by the children. Children were often taught to disrespect their moms, to disrespect the women in their society. But in God's economy... Moms are to be raised to a level of honoring. Number seven, mothers are to be valued. Mothers to be valued. In Leviticus 19.3, it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother. Now, I've stopped there because every other place, God says, honor your father and your mother. Paul says, honor your father and your mother. Here, God says, this is how I want you to do this. You need to honor your mother and your father. And he places the mother first because of the importance of the mother's role within the home. Because he goes on to say, honor your mother and your father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Take a time of worship together as a family. Pagan religions intended to fuel and encourage the devaluation of women. Hello? Greek and Roman, Greek and Roman goddesses, like I was saying earlier, were times... You know, it was, it was just a, a, an ugly situation. As the goal of what the pagans were doing, they would, what they would do is they would create these temples with goddesses and, and priests and temple priests inside of them. And there were no more, there were just women that were used by the people that would come to worship there. And most temples devoted their time and their, their women to such practices where it just... It was, it was not a very good situation for women. It didn't elevate them at all. It just degraded them. Number eight, mothers are included in Jesus' ministry. You see, in the Old Testament, as God started to unfold the value of women, the value of moms, as the Old Testament started to unfold what God wanted and desired for a household, husband and wife, mother and father, children, and then it, it comes into the New Testament where Jesus himself included women and mothers in his ministry. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who, by the way, had children, Herod's and Suzanne, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And so Jesus was bringing in and, 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 and discipling and helping these women to grow in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and of God's kingdom. Christianity elevated the status of women to an extraordinary height. It just brought them up to a level that was equal with men. Though they had different roles, he says, you are both as important to the kingdom of God. And Jesus' disciple included a few women, the practice almost unheard of by the rabbis of that day. And they would ridicule Jesus for having women within his ministry. And Jesus encouraged their discipleship, and he encouraged them to learn, and he encouraged them to grow like he did in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus enters the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and, and, and he's sitting there teaching, and Mary's at his footsteps, and Martha is busy trying to get everything done. The pots and pans are being flung all over the place, and I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it happens sometimes. Sometimes in our household when somebody is just not happy because people aren't helping and things are burning on purpose, you know, and things are getting thrown around and tossed around. And finally, nobody heard Martha and she goes up to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? 
I'm having to slave over the stove all by myself. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about way too much. You're worried about the things that don't matter. You see, you're worried, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, he says. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen what is best. Yes, those things are important, but this is the best. And Jesus, honoring and elevating and lifting the dignity of a woman. Christ first recorded clear uh, disclosure of his own identity when he first showed himself to be Messiah was to the woman at the well. I don't know if you remember the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. They had this racial tension. She comes out to get water from the well, and, and he says, can you give me some water? And she says, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And not only that, I'm a woman, and I'm by myself. Long story short, Jesus says, the one who gives or asks of you is the one who can give you everlasting water. Water it, and you'll never thirst, he says to, to the woman at the well. And in Luke chapter 7, this is very, very, very key here. After the healing of the centurion's son, after the son was healed from the centurion, he came up to Jesus and says, you know, I need for you to heal my son. Jesus says, I'll go. He says, all you have to do is just give the word. See, I'm a man of authority. I know that your word holds a lot of authority. Just give the word. My son will be healed. And Jesus says, I have not seen that much faith in all of Israel. Go, and it will be done as you said. And he goes from there to this little city, and it's, if, if you look at it in, in his progress to Jerusalem, it's kind of out of the way, this little city called Nain. And as he enters the village, as he's going in, there's this procession coming out with this dead man on this platform. He had just died. And the woman behind him is, is weeping and crying because that was her son. Now, the Bible identifies him as a man. Therefore, he wasn't just a kid. And the Bible identifies her as a widow. Now, if you don't know anything about widows in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they had to fend for themselves. And if they didn't have a husband, if they didn't have a son or somebody to care for them, then they were on their own. They were on their own. And so not only did she lose her husband, not only did she lose her son, but now she's wondering, what in the world am I going to do? And Jesus Christ shows up and he says, stop crying. And he reaches over, touches the man, and he raises up, raised him from the dead. And that story was told throughout all the, all the world in that particular place. And it's the, the importance of how Jesus cares for you moms. He knows you're afraid. He knows you're scared. He knows your struggles with your children, those that have grown. He knows where you are. He knows what's happening in your life. And out of the blues, Jesus goes to the city, stays there, and takes off after, after this miracle is done. And Jesus knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly what you need. When you trust in the Lord, when you trust God, when you know that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can rest assured and everything will be handled. Everything will be taken care of. Am I saying that you're going to get riches? No, I'm not saying that. Does that mean everything's going to be perfect? No. He takes care of all your need. There are a lot of things you think you need. There are a lot of things you want. Paul had stated to the Philippians, he will take care of all your needs. And a lot of the things you think you need, God says, no, I don't think so. I know what you need. Women were very important to, the, to Jesus Christ. Number, number nine, mothers also stand out in the early church. Mothers also stand out in the early church. Timothy, as I mentioned earlier, he had this faith within him, which dwelt in him because of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And this faith that was given to him was part of the ministry that Paul was, as he was going through Galatia. We talked about Galatia last week and the region that it was in, and the churches that he established through there, and as he, as he ministered through there. And this is probably one of the places that he had stopped at. He met Eunice, and he met Lois, and he presented the gospel. They were uh, God-fearing people. With, uh, with Timothy's mom, she was Jewish, so she knew the gospel, but the father was Greek. He was Gentile, and he didn't want anything to do with that. We don't, we don't hear much about you know, who he is. But what Paul did is he, he preached the gospel. They were saved. They, in turn, shared the gospel with their son and grandson. 
It's an important task for moms to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we bring them to church, and, and you bring them, and, and you, you would desire for them to hear the gospel message, but the gospel message has to come from you, moms. And, and you need to do this in such a manner as if their life depended on it, because it does. Eternal life hangs in the balance for your children. And, and nobody is going to love them more than you. God loves them, of course, immensely more than you can ever think or imagine. But no one's going to care for their salvation, for their preparation for this world more than you. And the gospel message has got to be clear. And you have to share it with them in a sense, in a way that it, it causes your, their sin to just wrench within them and, and, and cause this pain and this, this hunger for God. The gospel message needs to take hold of every individual. And if it hasn't taken hold of you as of yet, then maybe that's one of the reasons you're having a hard time sharing that gospel with your children. You might be thinking, well, I'm just a big hypocrite. You know, I, you know I'll tell them you know, to do as, I do, do as I say, not as I do. And, and you might be thinking, that, you know, they're not going to listen. Well, you know, why? Maybe it could be because the gospel message has not showed you your sin and how wretched and evil and wicked that sin is and how it has offended a holy God. And when you see how wretched and ugly that sin is and how offended God is and how God is going to deal with that and how He's going to deal with that at the end or even now, and He's going to deal with that in your life. And if, if you don't get it right in your heart, not only is He going to deal, not deal with it in your heart, but also in your offspring, in your children, and their children's children until somebody comes in and brings the gospel. Beloved, you are responsible for sharing that gospel message to your children. And it's important that you do so as Lois and Eunice had done to Timothy. And the only way that you can do that is by reading his word. The only way that you can do that is by understanding the, the gospel message. The only way that you can do that is by taking hold of that gospel message and letting it grow within you. How do you know it's happened? Because of a changed life. You're born again. Different, totally different. You can't just say, I'm a Christian. You can't just say, I believe. It takes a total 180 turn in your life. You have changed your direction. You have changed your thinking. And you help your children to understand the same thing. Timothy was Paul's indirect son in the faith, in a sense. And he tells them, he tells him in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. How was Paul sure? Because there was a change of life. He wasn't just like all the other kids. He was, a, uh, I guess you would say, uh, part Jew and part Greek, but he took on the full clothing, the full covering of Jesus Christ, and he lived it. And he lived it in his life, and he, and he talked it, and he shared that with other people. And, and, but something happened to Timothy. Something took place that caused him a lot of anxiety and fear. And then he goes on to say in the next couple of verses, which are not in your outline, it says this in verses 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control of power, of love, and of self-control. When you have become a believer, when you have been reborn again, when you have been regenerated, when you have understood the gospel message, nothing can shake you. This is what happened with Timothy. Timothy, I know. I know that there was a change in your life, and I know that you've grown up in the faith, and I know that you are uh, developing. However, some fear has gotten a hold of you, and you don't have this spirit of fear, which is what it is. Fear is a spirit. It's a spiritual uh, warfare, spiritual attack. It, it causes all kinds of fear and anxiety in your life. And Paul has to remind him, but you have been given power and love and self-confidence. Fe not fear, but of power and love and self-confidence. When you have the Holy Spirit within you, that's the tool that God uses to give you this power, this love and self-confidence. And a confidence that you can have in God because you know that He's in control. When you understand that God's in control of all things, it doesn't matter what happens. And just so you know, a lot of these apostles, they were martyred. Paul was beheaded. Timothy was killed. Every one of these for their faith. 
And they all stood there and says, it doesn't matter what happens. You know, this, this type of faith, this type of love, power, and sound mind. It's, it's like, you know, in the Old Testament days when people would come and say, honor Caesar. They would say, all right, they'd get an incense and honor Caesar. Honor Caesar. Okay, they'd get up and they honor Caesar. Then they'd come to the Christians and they would say, honor Caesar. And Jesus is Lord. A spear goes directly right through them. So the next Christian, honor Caesar. Jesus is Lord. Another spear goes directly right through him. Honor Caesar. <laughs> Not me. I honor Jesus Christ. And one by one by one, every Christian is executed. And then the, the next person, they ask, honor Caesar. Oh, yeah, I'll honor Caesar. I'll do what I think is best for me. That's the confidence that Paul is talking about. That's the confession that Paul is talking about. That's the power of a mom that builds into their child. You, you know, it's, it's almost as if, well, it is God working through you. And the only way that you can get that is by knowing that you've have a, you have a regenerated heart. You need a regenerated heart. I know you want that for your children. I know when I got saved, I was already 30, had five kids. And uh, I knew that I was going to die and go to hell. I just knew that. I just knew the places I've been to, the things I've done. I just knew I was gone. It was, about to, it was just about to happen. So I took my kids to church. I said, hey, you know, I want you to deal with my kids. Can you help them? You know, get them right. And he says, why? He says, because I want them to go to heaven. He says, what about you? And I says, it's too late for me. I'm done. Pastor, you don't know things I've seen. You don't know things I've done. You don't know the places I've been. I was in the Navy. Come on. You know, I don't, I don't even want to go there. And the pastor says, but God's grace is sufficient for you. And he says, you know, I can, you can bring them to church once a week, but you got them all day long. I said, no, I don't. I send them to school, you know. Let the school take care of them. I want you to take care of the rest. Beloved, it has to come from you. You're gonna, moms are going to receive a book today. And I read an interesting story in that book. And it's the story of John Mark's mother. Now, John Mark was uh, one of the disciples that uh, he was John, but he was also called Mark. And uh, it doesn't say much about who he was or what he did, but he did write the book of Mark. And John Mark, um, mom, his mom must have been, and we don't know much about her, but she must have been a very godly woman. Because when Peter was arrested and he was placed between sentries and guards and he was getting ready to get executed and, and, and they told him to stop preaching and he wouldn't stop preaching and he kept preaching. They arrested him, put him in chains. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes and prods him and says, get up. And Peter gets up thinking it's a vision, thinking it's a dream. And his shackles fall off. The guards must have still been asleep because they didn't say there's nothing stating that they were responding in any way. He goes up to the, the angel, leads them to the gate and the gate opens up. And so Peter didn't know what to do. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, it says this. When he realized this, that his chains were gone and the door was open, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. You got to catch this. You got to catch this. Peter knew where to go. Peter knew where the prayer circle was at. Peter knew where the prayer was happening. He was in prison. But Peter knew that if he went to Mary's house, everybody would be there. Why? Because Mary was praying as well as all the other disciples. See, even the Apostle Paul, he's falsely accused of being a male chauvinist. And he's not, as we stated. And he says, he says about Phoebe, in, in, your, in your outlines there, uh, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself. What she did is after Paul had written the book of Romans and put it in a big old scroll, he gave it to Phoebe and entrusted Phoebe with taking the good news to Rome. It's amazing. It's amazing how the Bible just elevates people. It's amazing how the testimony of the women that were elevated. It's amazing how people would notice the elevation of women that were Christian women. It's amazing how they, they adorned themselves and how they lifted up and took care of their children and loved their children and their husbands and gave them the, the honor due to them and the women were receiving the same honor from the husbands. The Bible always honors women, specifically moms.
doesn't degrade, doesn't drop them down a notch. They're equal in all things. The last thing I want to share with you is mothers are to display feminine virtue. Are to display feminine virtue. Do not let your adorning be extolled, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be, hid, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, is very precious. Some places will say, well, my, you can't wear jewels, you can't wear nice clothes. That's not what, what it is saying. What it is saying here is if you want to honor God, you honor God with the way you dress. This, is, this goes for men as well. But if you want to honor yourself, then that's what we have a culture of, of women that are honoring themselves and giving themselves in so many different ways. The value of a woman is shown by the person that she is. But it's, it's more the internal part. It's the character of the person. It's, and if you, when you meet a godly woman, you'll, you'll see that that person, there's something more than what they wear. Paul wasn't saying to you know, wear the lowest and the, the, the cheapest clothes that you can find. He was just saying, don't put your attention there. The attention needs to be on your commitment and your devotion to God and to your husband. Honor him. He will honor you. And in the life that you live as a mother, that will show and be passed down to every generation. The, the Mother's Day tribute that we have, it, it, it's falling on deaf ears, I know. Some of you, well, you don't have a mom anymore for whatever reason. You know, it's passed on or whatever the case may be. Maybe she left and decided to do something else. And I know it's a difficult message, especially this time of the year, for those that have lost their moms. I know, for, I know for a fact that, um, that, you know, few people that didn't come today because of that. It's still painful. But as we were talking about earlier, God really loves and honors you as moms. And he knows those of you that have your moms and those of you that don't. And he wants to extend that love because as we read from the very beginning, you see our, our uh, kingdom our love comes from above. That's our mom. God himself, the Jerusalem from above, that's where we're born from. We're born spiritually. And as I've been sharing that with you through the message, that that spiritual rebirth happens when you have committed your life to Jesus Christ. When you understand that you have sinned. That when you understand that you've offended a holy God. When you understand that there's no way that you can make it to heaven. We've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And something has to happen in each one of our lives. And that, whatever is happening within your life, when it starts to take place and take form and starts to shape you from within, regeneration starts to happen. And the evidence, of course, is a changed life. Let me ask you to stand. You see, Paul told Timothy, he says, I know that you have this spirit of love. I know that it was laid upon you. I know that because I was there. And it's evident in your life. But something is happening right now. And some of you have committed your life to Christ, but something is happening. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you still want to hold on to the world, have one foot on one side and one foot on the other. And there's, there's coming a separation, beloved. There's a separation that's coming. And, and what's going to happen is he's going to have the, the, the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Depending on what, the way I'm looking, I, I guess I can look like this too. No. And, and what's going to happen here is that there's going to be a distinct separation. What God is going to do, what Jesus Christ is going to do is he's going to separate. Now, there's a, a heavy, heavy warning for parents that cause their little ones to stumble. You know, Jesus said it would be better for your mother or your father to tie a millstone around their neck and have themselves tossed into the deepest ocean than to cause one of my little ones to stumble. That's a very scary thought. And some have been deeply hurt by things that have happened because of 
neglect or whatever the case may be. And, and it's caused this pain in your life. And for some of you, you won't even, don't even want to think about forgiving that person for the pain that they've caused in your life. And you're, you're thinking, you know, how could I ever forgive what she did? But when you think about the consequences of what's going to happen, it should bring pity to your heart. It should bring, you know, make you feel bad for what is going to happen to that person. You have to share the gospel with them. Because God doesn't want you to hold on to that pain. He doesn't want you to hold on to that anger or that resentment. Because God has a love for you that's beyond anything that any parent can give you. And I know that there are some here that are going through that tension. See, God, he didn't didn't cause that pain on you. He didn't. But he knows that pain. And he wants to heal that pain. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, I pray that today's message would help some moms that are here today, women in general, to realize that you never downgraded any women. You've never lowered them to a second class. Every time that women are mentioned in the Bible, they're elevated. Every woman, every person, even the sinful woman that was caught in adultery, you elevated her to a class that, that was equal to all other men and forgave her. The woman with the Mary Magdalene with the demons inside of her, you caused this regeneration within her heart. I pray, Father, that today, that especially moms, understand on how much they are by you, how you have stated, honor your father and your mother. And Lord, that is a commandment that each one of us have to have. So thank you, Father, once again for your word and helping us to see just some of the many, many, many examples that we weren't even able to touch on today. That this is a gospel message for those that are yours. It's not, just for, it's not just for men. It's not just for children. But it's for all. Father, I pray that uh, those within the sound of my voice today can celebrate Mother's Day with their children, with their family, and enjoy this time together as they, they grow together and they develop, allowing the gospel message to just ring within their ears and cause this change within the heart. Father, we honor every mom, and we thank you, Father, for giving us that word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen.